Hi, friends. It's Diane at the Sailing Legends podcast, and I have an amazing man that you are going to love to hear his stories today. I have Max Steingart from Miami Beach on the call with me right now. And Max has some amazing sailing stories that will just get you going. We were just talking before the show, and he was just giving me some highlights of them. And I'm so thrilled. I'm excited myself to hear the whole story with all of his candor and color and experience behind it. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, Max. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. This is going to be so fun. So I'd like to start, though, a little bit with... You learned how to sail when you were 12. And tell us that what that experience was like. Like what kind of boat was it? Where were you? Just give us a little color about those first days and those first experiences learning how to sail. Okay, well, I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story because I was 12 years old and I was home with uh, the chicken pox. And, uh, you know, when you're sick, you're nothing to do but watch television. So I watched uh, uh, two movies. One was uh, an old classic, uh, Spencer Tracy and Captain's Courageous. And uh, there was another one that uh, Captain's Courageous and uh, oh, a Gregory Peck movie, uh, The World in His Arm, something like that. And, but it was Captain's Courageous where they had these uh, sailing schooners out of Gloucester, Massachusetts, and I just fell in love with the whole concept of sailing. Well, I was a Cub Scout, and our, our troop met at a private school where they had a whole bunch of uh, little 12-foot uh, sailboats stored for the winter. They use them in their summer program. So I went to the schoolmaster, and I asked him, I said, listen, um, I'd really uh, like to, to learn how to sail. He says, I said, you know, could I, you know, borrow one of these boats? And he was a great guy. And I was being raised by a single parent, my mother. And uh, they, you know, people back then used to bend over backwards to, you know, support what I wanted to do. So he said, well, if you can learn how to sail, get somebody to teach you how to sail and I'll let you take one of the boats out. Well, I didn't know anybody that um, could teach me. So... Uh, my mother insisted every week I read a book and I went to the library and I started pulling out these books about sailing, but they were all, they might've been written in a different language because I could never get past, you know, I kind of skipped over the glossary where they described the terms and they didn't mean anything to me. And then one day I found a book called sailing made easy with pictures. All right. So everything was, everything was laid out visually I took that book I studied it I me- you know I memorized every part of it and then I went back to the to Miss to, to Dick Lear who owned the school and I lied to him and I said um, well you know Dick Mr. Lear uh, I know how to sail so that weekend he uh, had a boat in the water for me I show up and it was a very light air day it was maybe you know six or six knots of wind I jump on this boat. It was a, a um, it was a single sail, uh, small little boat. I think it was called the Pelican. So anyway, I get on the boat and I leave the dock and I'm out there and I got the feel of it right away. And I was sailing around the bay, you know, 
always within sight of uh, the dock for about two hours. And when I brought the boat back in, it was like a textbook classic docking thing. It was easy. And he came over and he says, man, he says, whoever taught you how to sail really did a great job. And uh, I couldn't resist. I pulled out the book and I showed it to him. <laughs> oh, my God. And, well, it, I'll tell you what happened. He ended up for the next two summers, he gave me a job at his uh, summer camp as the assistant sailing instructor. So I got to spend like two and a half months you know, playing around with the, sail, the boats. And, and in his water class, he also had power boats. So I really got heavily involved with operating power boats, outboard engines, and, and sailboats. And what got me hooked on sailing was I had a debate one day with my Uncle Charlie. And I started to talk about, you know, Power, we, we, we started a debate about what's better, power boating or sailing. And I, I got power boats. And I said, well, the good thing about power boats is you can get from point A to point B in a, when you have to in a hurry. And then my Uncle Charlie said to me, he says, yeah, but when you're on the water, it's not about the hurry. It's about the quality of the time you spend on the water. And what I loved about sailing was no engine, no noise, no, no fumes. And I started to think about it. I said, you know, I really like sailing better than, you know, power boats. And so growing up, uh, when I went to the university of Miami, I, you know, for, for my, for my athletic, you know, I had to take a, you know, an athletic course. So I took a sailing class and, Every time I had a chance, I'd go out on the water. Uh, Coconut Grove had uh, these boats that you could rent. And uh, about once a month, I'd go out, rent a boat, get a couple of friends to go with me to split the cost. And so I grew up sailing. And, uh, but that's how I learned how to sail. Oh, that is great. I think I remember that book if some friends of mine had it. And, and when you're talking about college, I was laughing because when I went to the University of Florida, I got my athletic credits teaching sailing to the professors. <laughs> there you go. Right. I, you needed athletic credits. So mine was sailing. Right. And that's what I did, too. And I just I was teaching the professors who would record me on, you know, so that they could play back the recording of what I told them to do and everything. And I was, you're speaking, you're bringing back all those memories for me because I was like, I hadn't thought about that in a while. <laughs> so I'm sure you have some other very cool stories about sailing because you've done some racing and you've had some amazing experiences that also have intersected with your professional world. So what is one story that comes to mind? that you would like to share that is a sailing story that when you think of it, you smile or you feel empowered, something like that's really fun. Well, uh, my favorite, my absolute favorite story was I had, I had joined a sailing club and um, I was racing my boat. And whenever the wind was over 15 knots, we would win the race. And whenever the wind was under eight knots, uh, a 31-foot hunter, a light airboat, would win the race. And this was a point in time where I'd been I belonged to this club 
for two and a half years. We've been racing and we show up on the last day. I am tied with this uh, uh, hunter. It was called Dealer's Toy. And we knew that if it was a light air day, they would win. And if it was a, um, if it was over 15 knots, we would win. So the weather for the day called for winds of 18 to 25 knots. So we showed up and we're, my crew is ready. I mean, we, we, you know, we were fired up. We knew this was our, our day. And, uh, when you, when you race a sailboat, uh, the start is probably one of the most important parts of the race. And we were great at getting across the line and getting a good position. So I had a, uh, an, um, if you're a sailor, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you have jibs are different sizes. And for the weather, what I really needed to be flying was uh, my, uh, either a 135 or even a smaller jib. But I had this Mylar Kevlar light air sail that was, it was a monster. And, and it was rated up to 15 knots. And it was, you know, just we knew we could only fly it once because the wind was going to be picking up. So I took a shot. I said, we're going to fly it at the start of the race because the wind is still light. And so we just barreled down to the start. We're, we're ahead of everybody. And then just as we crossed the starting line, the sail rips. Oh, no. Okay. So... um my guys were really good. By the time we got the sail down and we got the next sail up, we were, everybody was way out. In front. We, we, were, we were at the end. I mean, and, and so it was supposed to be a really long race. And uh, every, the crew was looking to me and everybody's going, I mean, they all looked dejected and I had to fake it. I, you know, I said, look, it's going to be a long race. We still have a shot at this. And I was lying through my teeth. Okay. I'm fig I'm sitting there. I'm going, damn, you know, there's no way we can catch everybody. So as we were heading for the first mark, again, I'm sitting there and everybody is doing their job and we're trying to make the boat go as fast as we can, but there's no way we could catch everybody. So as we're heading towards the first mark, I wasn't going to give up. And I kept lying to everybody. Well, as the boats were rounding the first mark, the next leg of the race was a spinnaker leg. Only now the wind was gusting 22, 23 knots and very few boats were putting up the spinnaker. So uh, as we were getting closer to the mark and everybody's rounding the thing and they're heading for the second mark and it's a long, it's a long, it's a long leg but nobody's flying a spinnaker. So I looked at my crew and I said, listen, the only shot we have of catching anybody is if we can fly the chute. Oh no. Okay. And, and my guy said, we can do it. So I said, well, let's get ready. And we, we rigged the boat for the spinnaker. We rounded the mark and we put the spinnaker up and uh, the, sp <laughs> the spinnaker on my boat was, it was a green sail with a white band and a, and a dollar sign because the name of my boat was the cash flow. And so we got the spinnaker up and we started to catch people. Okay. We're barreling down. Uh, and, and some of the boats in front of us saw we had our spinnaker up. So they try to put theirs up 
four boats blew their, <laughs> blew their spinnakers out. Uh, nobody else in the fleet could fly the chute on that leg. And we caught up with uh, more than half of the boats. So now we're in it. And I felt especially confident because we had two more spinnaker legs. Well, at the end of the first circuit, there were only three boats ahead of us. And barreling down uh, on the second circuit around, we caught everybody and we ended up winning the race. And I got to tell you, when we crossed that finish line, and again, the last leg of the race was also a spinnaker, a spinnaker leg. We were the only boat that flew the spinnaker. And now the wind is 23 to 26 knots. And, um, you know, we crossed the line and it was, it was like, uh, it, it was an amazing feel. I, I, I get chills every time I think about it. And the moral to the story, and I, I've shared this story for years with uh, uh, people that I've worked with, uh, is you never give up mm. because you never know. You just stay, hang in there. It's a long race, and if you just are persistent and do the best you can uh, and you don't quit, you know, anything is possible. And that's probably my favorite racing story. I got two more that are very, very similar. Um, one, let me just share quickly. I learned a lesson uh, on this particular race. It was a race from Fort Lauderdale down to Miami and back. It was just a straight shot down the coast. And again, the first part of the race was, it was a nor'easter. Actually, there was a front that was blown across the state. So the wind was out of the northwest. So the ocean close to shore was flat. And we had a 22, 23 knot wind. So when we get off to a start, um, there was only one boat in front of us that was a 51-footer. My boat was 39 feet. And the reason that they were ahead of us was because bigger sail, you know, bigger water line. So as we headed down to um, the sea buoy in Miami Beach, um, there's only one boat to beat. And I knew that on the trip back, uh, we beat them because we could sail closer to the wind than they could. So we round the mark about maybe eight minutes after they did. And the rest of the fleet was so far back, it was ridiculous. It was a two-boat race. So about five minutes after we round the mark, the steering cable on my boat breaks. Oh, no. So we ended up having to, you know, put up the emergency tiller, and we lost about maybe 12 minutes, 13 minutes. And I'm looking at this boat, Miss Maverick, and man, she was smoking. And, you know, again, what happened was mentally I gave up. Okay. <clears throat> I had a little pity party. And, uh, you know, I said, let's break out lunch. And we put the least experienced person on the emergency tiller. And we just said, well, you know, head north. So, um, you know, everybody, when I dropped, my enthusiasm, it, it just perpetuated through the entire uh, crew and everybody just kind of gave up. So about 20 minutes later, the guy that's holding the wheel, who uh, holding the emergency tiller, he was a professional wrestler, didn't know very much about sailing. I just said, you know, go north. 
And so I'm eating the corned beef sandwich and he says, he says, we're going eight and a half knots. I said, you're kidding. So I looked at the, the, the knot meter and sure enough, we were going eight and a half knots. And I looked up and I saw that Miss Maverick was way ahead of us, but they were sailing cl close to shore. They couldn't point into the wind like we could. And I just said, you know what? We're still in this race. And as soon as I picked it up, I said, let's crank in that jib and let's see what we can do. And sure enough, they sailed into shore. They had a tack out uh, near, uh, near Dania. And as they were coming out, we crossed paths. So we'd finally caught them. And I, I was standing on the side of the boat holding up my wheel so they could see we were doing it with the emergency tiller. And we ended up winning that race. And, and again, it's another uh, testament to the fact that if you are in management, okay, your people uh, get their enthusiasm. They get their uh, drive. It's infectious. It starts with you and it trickles down to the rest of your crew. So again, don't give up. Stay in the race again because you never know what can happen. That's my second favorite sailing story. Yeah, that that's a great sailing story, and both of them have that that theme. And you know, I've been ocean racing since I was a child, and 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 I'm listening to you and going, that happens all the time where yep. you look like you're going to be last, and because something happens, whether it's wind or weather or the boat breaks or something, and if somebody gets dejected or or has a hard time, especially if it's the skipper, then you know sometimes a crew can pull them back, and sometimes not. It just depends on you know the chemistry of the group. But that doesn't, you know, just because something happens doesn't mean it's the end of it. Because I've also seen the other side, and I bet you too, have too, Max, where you're way ahead or something really great is happening and everything looks flawless and then something goes south and you end up not at the top of the fleet when you thought you were going to win. And um, that's one thing I love about sailing stories and sailing in general is it's never as predictable as sometimes we want to think it is, you know? Oh, for sure. In fact, I think it was in 19... Oh, I think it was 85. Uh, they had something, they called it the Super Bowl of uh, the Super Bowl regatta in January. And the first year we won it and they got a really pretty trophy. The second year, I mean, we were, you know, everybody knew if, if the win was over 15 knots, we were going to, we were going to win it. Well, the second year, the wind was so light, I mean, and I'm talking about under three knots, four knots, five knots, tops, wow. that, that it took them, that took the racing committee a couple of um, maybe an hour and a half to even start the race. So, um, you know, we're all just kind of hanging out, and we were in the last class to start. And uh, when the gun went off, my boat was pointed in the wrong direction. We had, a, you know, by the time we turned it around and started for the mark, I mean, again, we were, we were dead last. Now, as I'm approaching the mark, um, I had a designated crewman who was my tactician. And as a guest, I had my former tactician who, you know, I invited to come along. And uh, so my guest tactician says to me, he says, Max, I think when we cross the line, instead of going left, we should go right. 
Now we were heading left with the rest, following the fleet. And I said to him, I says, well, I said to my regular tactician, I says, which way do you think we should go? And he says, left. So I said to uh, Nick, my old tactician, I says, why should we go right when everybody else is going left? So he said, Max, the current is going from right to left. And all the boats that are going left are being carried south with the current. When they tack back the other way, they're gonna be fighting the current and they're gonna have a light wind and the current's gonna bring them all the way down. If we go right, we're gonna be, yes, we're gonna be fighting the current, but we're going straight for the mark. And then I looked at my tactician and I said, well, what do you think we should do? Why should we go left? And his answer was, because everybody else is going left. They must, yeah. all right? So I, I, know it, I did a quickle, it didn't take me more than, 15 seconds to realize that if we followed everybody else, there's no way we could catch them. And the only way that we had any shot in the race was if we went in a totally different direction than everybody else in the fleet. End of story. By the time we got to the next mark, we were the first boat around the mark. And we, we actually ended up uh, placing second we were beat, beat out by, uh, by another lighter boat. So the, le the, the lesson there is, you know, you got to keep an open mind and uh, judge every situation on the basis of the circumstances. And uh, uh, what happened to me racing-wise was every time, every year, they would adjust your handicap uh, depending upon how you did. And so after three and a half years of dominating the races, um, they handicapped us to a point in time where they weren't handicapping the boat, they were handicapping the crew. Mm -hmm. And we got to a point where uh, we could cross the line first, we could finish first, but because of our handicap, you know, we're, we're, we're placing sixth or seventh. So for about two months, I just got annoyed. And I just said, hey, you know, we're just not gonna race. And, uh, you know, if we can't, they're not treating us fairly. And I missed it. So I called up my crew and I said, listen, if we cross the line first and we finish first, I don't care whether we get the trophy or not. We just want to start first and finish first. And so we, we jumped back into it. We sailed for the rest of the season. And uh, I, I never picked up a half a dozen trophies that we won. but. Uh, you know, it was just being out there on the water and uh, enjoying the whole, you know, racing uh, experience. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. And that happens up here, too, in, in St. Petersburg and in, in Tampa, where some of the clubs were doing that, handicapping the crew and the boat, you know, after the boat kept winning and winning and winning. And it, it didn't go very, very well. So it stopped and went back to the way it was supposed to be for that very same reason. I've seen people stop racing and then come back. But, you know, it, it kind of leaves a weird taste in your mouth until you kind of get on the other side of it. So I have a question about crew. And I'm wondering if you can think of a time in any one of your great, you know, races and sailing stories and things. But there was a time when one of your crew members taught you a lesson and you didn't know what was coming. Like you were really surprised and either by what they did or said, you had like an aha or an epiphany or like, wow, that's really amazing. 
kind of well, well, you know, actually, um, probably the, the, the greatest lesson that, um, the greatest lesson that there's two that come to mind. The first one I, I shared with you a little earlier where, when I, um, got the racing bug, I'd already had my boat for about a, a year and it was a cruising sailboat. It was an O'Day 39 and it had a, uh, I, I, I chose the shoal draft model. So our, we, we had a, a modified fin keel that only was down four feet, 11 inches. And um, so I explained, you know, my first crewmate was a professional sailor that came with us. And um, um, it was me, him, and another person. It was the first time the three of us ever sailed together. It was my first sailboat race. And it was a very, very windy day. And I, you know, I didn't know anything about racing. And so I just followed his direction. I did everything he told me to do. I was the driver. He was a tactician and he worked the sails. And we ended up um, winning that race. I, uh, and of course, in the fleet that we beat were I think five or six CNCs, which is, he was going to sell me one. And he was absolutely amazed at how um, fast the boat was. So I kept the boat and just loaded it up with, um, with equipment. And, you know, in the early years of racing, I had people on my boat that we had a rule that whoever is the most qualified person for a position that, you know, got the job. So, um, spinnaker people, I had a, I had a, I had a, I had three different guys that were, were, were good at four deck work. And I had, um, three guys that were all, um, tacticians. It, it, it came down to, to two. Well, in 19, let's see, I'm trying, I think it was 1983. No, wait a minute. I bought the boat in 84. So in 1986, somebody came out with a, a, a computer that it, I remember it was like $1,500 and it would measure the, the shifting winds. You'd set it. And if you were being headed or lifted, it showed it on the computer. And of course, if you were being lifted, then, you know, you knew when to, so you knew when to tack is basically what it was, but we never really knew how to use it. Okay. We had it. And, uh, a friend of mine was a boat builder who, um, built a beautiful, beautiful boat. Um, it was called a Cambria and, uh, his magnificent boat. I wanted to buy one. Um, and, uh, at any event, he came sailing with us once and it was one of those things where even though he was brand new on the boat, he knew how to use that little computer. So again, it was a windy day and uh, he just, you know, he was on that little thing. He's pushing buttons and telling us tack, tack, tack. We were tacking like crazy. And, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, winning the race. So, um, uh, you know, you can always learn something from um from anybody and in fact uh 
some of the lessons I've learned over the years are from non-sailors that, uh, you know, made a, an observation or a comment about inner, inner workings with people on a boat. And, uh, you know, you just have to keep an open mind and, and, uh, and listen. One thing I learned how to do early in my racing career was actually my business career was listen, you know, because we think we know what we know. But there's always something that maybe we don't know that um, somebody can point out to us. And uh, if we pay attention, it can alter a race. It could alter, it could be life altering in some cases. Mm, that's that true. Make, that makes sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And especially when you're talking about it being on an ocean race or even in a tight dinghy race or whatever race, if you're not listening, not only to yourself, but the other people on the boat and the circumstances, you can get in trouble, you know, being able to listen and be open-minded and also having good discernment and decision-making too. Like as a skipper, you had to listen, like listen to those two tacticians and still make the decision of how you wanted to, you know, proceed. So it's, it's both of those. I think it's listening and then taking the, in the information and then making a good decision on the back end of it. Well, the one thing about sailing that, you know, every sailor knows is the, you can't mess around with mother nature. <laughs> True. Yep. Okay. And, you know, fortunately, uh, here in Florida, or at least, you know, down in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, I, I, we had a general weather rule, which was the weather in New Orleans on Wednesday was typically going to be our weather on the weekend. So, because the weather moves from, you know, west to east. And so we had, we always had a pretty good idea of what we could expect um, weather-wise. And, uh, you know, as long as you know what the weather's going to be, you know, for the most part, um, you know, we, we, I hear these stories all the time about people that are out on the ocean and they get, all of a sudden a storm pops up. Storms don't pop up. <laughs> I mean, you know, they do, but if you're paying attention to the weather and the forecast, I mean, you know what's coming. You know, they very rarely catch uh, um, a good sailor, you know, by surprise. I mean, we can be out there knowing that there's a, there's a good chance that we're going to get a storm, and, which is why I'd rather be on a sailboat than a powerboat in any kind of bad weather. But, um, you know, it's just, man, sometimes you just have to stay in. And, and not go if the weather's really, uh, you know, bad and crummy. Right. That's definitely true. I've been at the dock before having to make that decision because of the weather being crummy and other times where it looked good and it got crummy while we were out there. What, so kind, of, what, what kind of a boat were you, did you sail? Uh, well, I'm still racing. I've raced everything. We raced a PT-30 in an IR division growing up, and I had a Santana 525. And I've also raced career 290s, J35s, J29s, mm -hmm. primarily. Well, th you know, th those are nice because they're one-class boats. So everybody pretty much has the same, you know, has the same ha handicap. Right. We raced them in, in class racing and then we raced them in PHRF as well. Mm -hmm. And we, we still race them doing that. And so it's, it's very, it's, you just never really know. Cause in Tampa Bay, you know, like we, our Bay is its own weather system in a lot of ways. So you can, it can be a perfectly clear, beautiful day and a thermal can pop up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, okay, here you go. So you get used to it when you sail on Tampa Bay, that it's usually very light and there's, you know, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. and, and just like every area 
has, you know, its own local knowledge, its own what you know about. Like you guys looked at New Orleans on Wednesday. Well, I always looked at the panhandle on Thursday. Oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that same kind of idea. Like let's see right. what's coming down the pike yep. and how it may or may not change, you know, during the night before it gets here, but at least give me some flavor of what I'm going to deal with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. It's very interesting. So what's the funniest thing that ever happened to you on a boat? Where um, you find yourself busting a gut laughing. Well, the, the, if I look and I, I, I own the boat for 34 years. Okay. I bought it new in 1984 and only recently, um, um, got rid of it. And, you know, they say that the best day of a boat owner's life is when they buy it and when they sell it. Um, uh, that wasn't my case. Um, um, it was frankly, I, I had a hard time getting people to, uh, sail, uh, living on Miami beach. Everybody is into fast boats versus up in Fort Lauderdale. You know, you had more, more sailors. I think, I think the funniest thing about, um, that happened on my boat was, and I, I shared this with you earlier, how we, how we named the boat. Yes, tell that story. <laughs> now, I, 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 I've always been an innovator, and I, had, I introduced the whole concept of uh, developing a database of used boats for sale to the yacht brokerage industry before there was an internet. And, um, um, and I started this uh, database publishing company in my, in my home, and, and grew it to where at one point in time, we, we were the biggest employer in downtown Fort Lauderdale. We had, I had 250 employees on the phone. And uh, as the business was growing, whenever we needed to invest in the business, uh, my attitude was it's not how much it costs, it's how much it costs a month. So um, for my birthday, my wife, Char, I'd been, you know, this was before, my wife chartered a boat for me out of from the marina that we live next door to. It was a oh, it was a Cal thirty one called Mikey likes it. It's amazing how people come up with names, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so we took the boat out and it was a really windy day, and I went down to the marina. You know, they you know they asked me a couple of questions. Can you sail? If you could leave the dock, they figured you know you knew what you were doing. And, uh, so we, we took the boat out for the day and I had a blast. I, I went out with two of my neighbors when I brought the boat back in. Um, I brought the keys back into the office and I asked the secretary, I said, how much did my wife spend on chartering this boat? And they said, $250. So I said, well, put me down for next week. So initially I started sailing every Sunday and uh, within a month or two, I'm sailing every Saturday and Sunday. So I'm spending about $2,000 a month sailing. My wife loved it because I'd always come back, you know, invigorated and happy. And, um, um, and the other thing was I got to sail all these different boats. <laughs> so, and, and, and it got to a point in time where the way they had everything, it was a funny marina. And there were some inside slips that uh, where the boats, instead of being docked parallel to the current, the current was perpendicular to the way the boat was docked. 
So when you left the dock, you had to fight the current, you had to fight the wind. And I think they did it on purpose, but they started giving me boats that were in these inside slips. So my boat handling uh, really, um, really improved. And uh, in any event, one day they they called me up and said, listen, we're bringing in no day 39 into the fleet. And uh, we just ran some numbers. And if you buy this boat, right now you're, you're paying us about $2,000 a month, but you could own the boat. And uh, with, with your boat payment, dockage, maintenance, insurance, and everything, it's going to cost you about $1,200 a month. And, uh, you know, we're going to charter it, and we're going to give you half the charter fee. So I said, well, you know, sign me up. So I gave him a $5,000 deposit. I was going to have to come up with another $35,000. But I had plenty of time for that. So um, then about maybe three weeks before I had to put up the rest of the money, uh, IBM introduced a new computer that I absolutely had to have for my business. So I called up the, the guys and I said, listen, I hate to do this to you, but uh, I can't buy the boat. And I told them why. And so they ended up giving me a second mortgage on the boat. So I got into this boat, it was about $275,000, $280,000 boat for $5,000. And then they took out my, they deducted half of my charter fees against uh, the second mortgage. So now it came time for us to name the boat and we went down to the documentation office and uh, they looked at, you know, we were going to, I was going to call it the Enterprise because I was a big Star, Star Trek uh, <laughs> fan. Right. And, and so I looked at my wife and says, you know, what, what, what do you want to call it? I'm just thankful I didn't call it the Beverly because, you know, we divorced about uh, maybe 10 years later. Um, so anyway, what happened was my wife looks at me and says, why don't you call it Cash Flow? And I just said, that's the name of the boat. <laughs> and uh you know because the truth is that life is about cash flow business you know is about cash flow i never took a business course when i went, was in college but my simple business rule was you got to have more money coming in than going out <laughs> it's all about, it's all about cash flow so i think that's probably my uh my funniest sailing story <laughs> That's great. And it is kind of interesting, like where people come up with the names for their boats and things like that and, and how, it, how it happens. So I always love the, the backstories of how things unfolded. You know, that's why I always ask, like, well, how did you learn how to sail? Because like how you learned how to sail is fascinating and it just shows your, your creativity from the very beginning and your love for it. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll tell you, um, I could spend three hours on a boat and come off totally relaxed. It, it, it takes away all the stress. It's like I've been on a vacation for a week and a half. And ever since I uh, got rid of the cash flow, uh, I'm still on the water. I found a, there's a, a great, are you familiar with uh, Boat Setter? Or, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I gotta tell you something, those people are fabulous. Um, there's about five different boats in my area, I mean, uh, that come with the captain, if you want. And uh, so I've sailed like four different boats. I've kind of uh, settled in on one in particular. And at least once or twice a month, I go out. And uh, 
it's way, way cheaper than, I mean, I was spending $2,000 a month keeping it docked at the Miami Beach Marina with maintenance and everything else. And now it costs me about $500, $600 every time we go out. And when I invite my friend, and I'm always going out with friends and we all split it. So, so it, it's, uh, I'm still, I still get to enjoy sailing, but without the hassles of, uh, of boat ownership. Mm, yeah. And there's, there's a lot about, lot to be said with that. So I have one last question for you. And that is if there's somebody listening to you and listening to all your great stories that maybe is thinking about learning how to sail or kind of wants to be involved, a, a beginner, like just starting out, what would be some words of wisdom that you would share with that person? Well, uh, for one thing is I, I would absolutely uh, go to a sailing school or, or get someone to, uh, to teach you the things that you need to know. And then ultimately it comes down to experience. And so before you buy a boat, I would definitely master, uh, get really comfortable with sailing. I was able, you know, most people buy a boat and uh, they keep it for a year or two and they sell it and they get the boat that they should have bought in the first place because of, you know, their lifestyle and the way they use it. So, um, you know, try a couple of boats, you know, before, you, um, you know, make that big investment. And I guess the, the biggest thing to, uh, the best advice I could give to anybody is, you know, there was an old, there was a, uh, a margarine commercial years ago that said, you can't fool mother nature. <laughs> okay. And the one thing that I would say to everybody is don't mess around with the weather. Okay, um, um, you uh, need to pay attention to the weather and never put yourself in any jeopardy. You're better off staying ashore. You're better off staying at the dock. I lost a very good friend uh, in, a, in a boating accident. He owned um, um, a restaurant chain called Charlie's Crab. And he was in our, our sailing club. And uh, he... Uh, had a 41 foot, um, you know, he had one of those cat catches, you know, they came out with him for, uh -huh. for a couple of years, you know, no wires, you know, it was, it was, um, 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 the, 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 the masts were carbon fiber and, uh, they only made them for a couple of years, but he had one and they, they lousy sailboats. But he was over in the Bahamas for a week and he was heading back, you know, after uh, a week's vacation and he was coming back to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And I guess he figured, you know, there was a massive front coming, coming, you know, it was, uh, it, it, frankly, he thought he could beat it back to, uh, he thought he could beat it back. And, uh, he got caught out there, um, uh, two o'clock in the morning that they got something on his phone, but he got slammed uh, with this outrageous wind in the Gulf Stream coming out of the Northwest and they never heard from him. I mean, he, his wife and another couple just disappeared, got swallowed up. So um, again, it's, you can't mess around with mother nature. 
Oh, that's good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is is definitely very true. And you know, it's sad that you lose people that way, and it's it's the way the nature is. So it's definitely takes paying attention to and having the skills to know it. So if you're new, it's important to have some seasoned people give you some advice and listen to what they have to say. Speaking about advice, let me share one other piece of advice with you. Sure. I've, I've been sailing for so long at one point in time. Um, I uh, was entertaining the idea of getting, uh, getting a license. And, uh, you know, so I could, you know, license captain. Um, and my, uh, one of my attorneys pointed out to me that once I have a license, I'm a professional. And the, the level of responsibility and um, rises dramatically. As long as I'm an amateur, um, there's a lot more latitude and forgiveness. And God forbid anything ever happens. So I've stayed an amateur. Mm, good move. That's a good, that's a very good point too. <laughs> well, Max, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Sailing Legends podcast today and sharing all your great stories. It's, it's just so fun to connect with other sailors who, who we speak the same language and, and have had just really great experiences. And I absolutely love how you've been able to successfully take lessons that you've learned on the boat, different experiences, and have them inspire people at work and in other areas of life. So, so that's really amazing that you've allowed your sailing to expand and, and touch other people's lives vicariously at the very least. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I, you know, something that you said just popped into my head. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share this story too. Sure. Um, uh, back in 1995, I discovered the whole social networking world before, before you know, Facebook and before uh, LinkedIn and, and some of these other social networks. But uh, what I used to do was I, I, I've sailed in San Diego I've sailed in Seattle. I've sailed in uh, San Francisco Bay with people. I mean, I just, you know, just go on Facebook or, and do a search for people that like to sail. And I've sailed in, in Chicago. I've sailed uh, Charleston, South Carolina um, by meeting people that are sailors. And, uh, you know, everybody could always use crew. And uh, so if you're, you know, if you're looking for a boat, you know, just go go on Facebook and network with somebody that likes to sail. Yeah, that, that's a good way to do it. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, I'm glad you did because that's a big one at Davis Island Yacht Club in Tampa, where, where I'm a member um, all summer on Thursday nights. We bring we take anybody racing with us who wants to go. So people even who've never been on a boat or whatever can come and say they're looking for a boat and somebody will take them on the race for sure. That's it's something we do at our club and, and it's fun. And we, there's a lot of people now who race with us who started out that very first day, just, you know, let me go see what this is about. And they've become part of our family. That's great. Yeah. And it, it's a great thing to do that. So thank you, Max, so much for being on the show. And everybody, you've been listening to Max Steingart from Miami Beach tell some amazing stories of how sailing and work and life all come together in a glorious mix. So I hope you've enjoyed the show today and stay 
tuned for more episodes of Great Sailing Legends. And until the next episode, may you have fair winds and following seas.